For a scripture reading this morning, turn with me to John chapter 8. These verses will serve as my text for this morning's message. John chapter 8, we'll read the first 11 verses. Jesus went in unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down, wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If you will, I'd like for you to turn back with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. In these verses is a most unusual yet instructive account of a sinner being brought to Christ. Sinners are brought to Christ. Sometimes God will work in His providence to bring them. Sometimes He'll work in a conscience to bring them. And sometimes He'll bring them with another person. But He always brings them. And I'm always interested in the history of sinners being brought to Christ. Aren't you? I'm interested because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm interested because Christ is the only way to life eternal. And I'm interested because I've learned something about my inability 
Satan's power to deceive and the condition of this ungodly world in which we live. (coughs) These 11 verses are about a young lady and a man, neither of whose names are mentioned in the account. And the scribes and the Pharisees, self-righteous hypocrites under the guise of being the servants of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. Now the context was that of the Savior declaring salvation and eternal life in Him by faith according to the Word of God. This is what He taught. This is what He was teaching that morning. And this preaching was contrary to what religious men believed and taught. They sent a committee of men to arrest him, but they returned empty-handed. If you read John chapter 7, you can read the account. They sent him out. The Sanhedrin, the most powerful committee in the Jewish nation, was sent out to get this man. They didn't tell him to pretty please go ask him if he'd come. They sent him out to get him. Go get him and bring him in here. And then they come back empty-handed. And when asked why they didn't bring him, they said, never a man spake like this man. Boy, when he spoke, things happened. He wasn't sly and crafty like the people we know. He was plain and simple to be understood and what he said had an effect. Never a man spake like this man. This man spoke and commanded the winds and the waves to be still and the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. He told demon-possessed men, he told those demons to come out of them and they came out of them. Never a man spake like this man. Never. His words were clear and powerful. He had an insight into the Word of God that was unequaled. And he knew the thoughts and intents of the hearts of those that he was talking to. I used to accuse Henry Mahan years ago. I was still going to an Armenian church, but I'd heard about him and had had gone there and begin to go there all the time. And, and I come home and tell my brother-in-law, I said, I think he's been sitting outside our church down here listening to what we say. He could quote us word for word. And then I found out later on, that's just religious language. This is how they all talk. Organized religion would not accept Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ of God because they would not set aside their own ignorance of God and His purpose of grace to save chosen sinners through the person and work of His Son. They they tied all of this to the law and to you. If you're going to be righteous before God, you're going to have to be righteous. That's how they believe. And the only way you can be righteous is to obey that law. 
They were so convinced that Jesus was an imposter and so concerned with defending their creeds that they hatched out a plan and then another plan and then another plan and they tried to expose him as an imposter. And they come up with all sorts of ungodly ways to do it. But, and here's what I want you to see. None of these things hindered the Lord from accomplishing His purpose of grace. Didn't even slow Him up. Our God, the God of the Bible, the living God, is God. He's not a God, He's God. I'm God, and beside me there is none other. I'm God. And as God... He works among sinful men and devils as if they had no power at all. Paul said in Ephesians 1.11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And it's the will of God to save a people for the glory of His great name through the person and work of His Son. Now there's five things that I want us to focus on in these 11 verses. I want us to see the sinner chosen of God. Chosen of God. I want you to see the situation arranged by God. I want us to see especially the Savior who is God. And then I want us to see the dismissal. It's like suddenly he turned, he said, now you can go. (laughs) And shushed him away. They all lived. They all lived. And a surprise ending. Might not surprise us, but it did her, and it did me when I first experienced it. So let's first look first at the sinner. Every person in this account was a sinner except Christ. They were all sinners. They were one of them. But there was only one chosen of God. Men in general despise the election of God. They tell me it lowers or limits the power of God. My friend, salvation's of the Lord. He's under no obligation to save anybody. Whatever limitations he has, he's limited himself to it. And he's done so for a purpose. Salvation is the result of the will of God, not some entitlement of man. Did you know religion says that man is entitled to these things? That he somehow deserves these things. That God has no, he's got no alternative. If this man wants to be saved, he has to save him. That's how religion looks at it. And that's why they find comfort in it. Christ didn't come down from heaven because he owed something to the creature. He came down from heaven to do his father's will. It would do us well to find out what the will of God is that He came to do. And He tells us. 
I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. That's the Father's will. He has a people. He's going to save them for the glory of his name. And he sent his son to accomplish it. I heard a preacher say one time, God's only obligated to call you one time. Oh, he ain't obligated to call you at all. And there's thousands whom he doesn't call. Perhaps millions. They've never even heard God. They don't even know who God is, except in their conscience. Whatever obligations God has, he so obligated himself to do according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestinated us, he says, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. And even his son said, I came down not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And Paul in teaching these things over in Hebrews chapter 10 said, in the volume of the book it's written of me, I come to do thy will, O God, by the which will he has sanctified us through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Think about that. The only reason you and I still have a being is the sovereign eternal will of God to save sinners for the glory of his name. There were three types of sinners there that day. There was a man whose name is not mentioned, who was not arrested, was not exposed, or inflicted with any sort of visible punishment. He was a sinner who thought he got off free. Been there and done that. Thought I got away, Scott. This world's full of such men and women who are guilty of vile transgressions but appear to be unaffected by judgment and justice of any kind. David said he was angry about it. He looked at these rich men and they were getting away with murder. They were getting away with everything. You've been there. You live. You, you're not hiding in a corner somewhere. You know what I'm saying. There are people in this generation just like that. They're, they're wealthy. They have uh, contacts. They, they, they've got hookups. and They get off the hook. David said of such men, they have no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble like other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. And they say to themselves, how does God know? How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? That is, is there knowledge of such things? And it pained David until he went into the sanctuary. Until he... The Lord opened his heart to understand their end. No sin is going to go unpunished. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Because men are made aware of your sin, it doesn't constitute some blindness on the part of God. You get away with something here. It doesn't mean God was blind to it. 
There has and will be a just recompense for every transgression and disobedience. You can read Hebrews chapter 1. The second type of sinner present here is the worst of all. Religious sinners. Self-righteous hypocrites. Ungodly men pretending to be the servants of God. They arrested and convicted other sinners under the guise of being saints of God. Our Lord said to these men, it'd be easier on them in Sodom and Gomorrah than it's going to be on you in the judgment. There are no degrees in glory, but there are in hell. There are in hell. And then thirdly, there was this woman. When the scribes and Pharisees brought her to Christ, her crimes were fully exposed. She didn't get away with anything. They said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. She was a practicing sinner. But let me tell you something. Every sinner brought to Christ is a practicing sinner. And even those who yet believe are practicing sinners. If a man say he hath no sin, he's a liar. And he's made God a liar. And the man who was with her, who thought he escaped his crime, probably wrote it off to a bad marriage or an unfortunate circumstance or too much wine or who knows what people that do such things write these things off to. Pharisees and scribes justified their sins thinking they were doing God a service. But the woman had no excuse. She had no defense. And when sinners are brought to Christ, their mouths have been stopped. How do I know if God has truly convicted a man and brought him before him? How do I know that? Because he shuts up. He ain't got nothing to say. He's not arguing about free will anymore. He's not arguing about uh, his good mother or his good grandmother or any kind of goodness in himself. He's not saying them things anymore. God shut his mouth. He's guilty. She was guilty. She didn't have anything to say. Her mouth been stopped and they stand there guilty before God. And I see in my mind's eye a woman clinging to a few rags. She was taken in a very act of adultery. They didn't let her go in a room somewhere and dress they grabbed her up and she grabbed whatever she could grab to cover herself up with. And here she sits. Spiritually, that's how we all appear before Him. Naked. No covering. And I know from personal experience and from the Word of God that she knew she was guilty and deserving of whatever judgment she would receive. Now I wonder this morning, has the Spirit of God ever arrested any of you? Huh? Has He ever arrested you like that? Huh? Exposed you? Boy, I tell you, when God exposes yourself to yourself, you think everybody in the world can see it. Huh? You just open that shit. I mean, there it is. Here I am. 
Has he ever taken you in the very act? Has he ever shown to you that you're a practicing sinner, not a sinner in word, but one in deed? Well, this is the sinner. That's the sinner. Can I take my place with this sinner? Well, I tell you, I want to look at every case where the Lord saves a sinner and see if I can take my place with that sinner. Because those are the sinners that God saves. Huh? The sinner who knows he's a sinner. That's who God saves. And then here's the situation. She's brought and set in the midst. She stands before the holy bar of God, fully exposed. No excuses, no defense. Nobody's on her side. She stands there alone, guilty. The holy law of God, being defined by these lawyers, demands a violent death for her crime. They wouldn't go easy on her. She was to be stoned. Stoned. Nobody there manifested any love for her or any suggestion of mercy or grace. Now here's the situation. She'd been placed into the hands of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, to do with as He saw fit. Now is that not how God saves a sinner? In His providence... Under the preaching of the gospel, he brings them and sets them before and says, here he is, what will you do? What will you do with him? Because all the rest of it is just paper mache, isn't it? All the rest of it is just nothing. It's what is he going to do? Because he's the only one can do it. Can you take your place with this here? She's in his hands 100%. She didn't open her mouth. She sat there silent, waiting to see what the Lord was going to do with her. Knowing full well she deserved whatever she got. She's guilty. These ungodly men who brought her there had no concern for the soul. This whole situation was something they cooked up to expose Christ as an imposter. Yet the God of all grace had used their sinful actions to bring a chosen sinner to Christ. <laughs> Don't you just love it. <laughs> and then thirdly, I want us above everything else to see the Savior. This one before whom she stands... <laughs> is one before whom all men shall one day stand. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God hath appointed a day, He said, in the which He'll judge this world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained. And there was only one hope for that sinner that day. The scribes and Pharisees had rested their case. Only one voice yet to be heard. You ever been there? Sitting there silent before God knowing that there's one more voice. What's he going to say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity I never knew. 
huh? Or be thou clean. What's he going to say? He has the last word. He has the last word. If he pardons the woman, he goes contrary, they said, to the law and justice of God. If he condemns the woman, he goes contrary to his message of mercy and grace. Over in Proverbs 17 and verse 15, it says, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. In Isaiah 45, 21, he said, There is no God else beside me. I'm a just God and Savior. A just God and Savior. I'm not going to overlook sin. Sin, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. He's either going to die of himself and stand before me and be sentenced to the second death or he's going to die in my son, his substitute. But he's going to die. Sin has to be paid for. God cannot justify the wicked. It's contrary to his character and he cannot condemn the righteous because that's contrary to his character. What will this man who's claimed to be the Son of God do with this poor sinner? And I hope you'll hear me this morning because this is the situation of every chosen sinner brought to stand before the Son of God. Romans 3.23 He said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now watch this, verse 24 being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. How are they justified? Freely by His grace through the accomplished redemption of Christ. By way of a sovereign appointed substitute, by one ordained of God to be a representative man through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Where's it at? It's in Him. You ain't going to find it in the law. You're going to find it in Him. The law only points you to Him. And it's in Him by divine intervention. It's in Him by divine appointment. It's in Him by an eternal covenant union. It's in Him. How can a poor sinner be justified before God? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God hath made Him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Our Savior declares in the gospel His righteousness for the remission of sins. He declares by Jesus of Nazareth that He's both just and justifier of all them that believe on Christ. Nowhere in, in example do I see this more clearly than this woman. Here she's dead. And then I see a dismissal. All these hypocritical men waiting to condemn the Son of God were dismissed by the one they sought to condemn. <laughs> They'd done what God arranged for them to do. 
They brought this poor sinner to Christ. And those who arrogantly waited for his self-conviction, they thought themselves to be the center of attention. They'd hatched the, the very plan to expose him were dismissed by the Lord. And he never said a word. All he did was stoop down and ride in the dirt as though he didn't even hear them. He just acted like they wasn't even there. The only one who was there that concerned him was the woman. Just the woman. He used them. Yes, he did. He uses everybody in this world. You might not realize it, but he uses law to constrain you from being as evil as you could be. He uses weather to provide you with crops, causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He uses everything in this world, including sinners, for the welfare of his saints. He ignored them and all that they represented, but they persisted, so he stood up and said, He that is without sin among you. You want to talk about righteousness? You want to talk about law righteousness? There's the rocks. There's the woman. The man with no sin. Pick it up and mash her brains in. Huh? You going to reach down and get that rock? Mm, one by one. One by one. They heard what he said. Only God can make us hear where it counts in here. Only He can make us do that. They heard what He said. And one by one, having heard what He said, convicted in their conscience, walked away. They walked away. And nothing else they could do. He politely dismissed her accusers, sent the Sanhedrin packing, pressing the own their own unworthiness upon their consciences and convicting them each one from the eldest to the least. And then lastly, I want us to see and rejoice in this surprise ending. Having ignored them and dismissed them, he's writing now in the stand. He stooped over. He's just writing in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote. But he stands up. He stands up. He stood up again and saw none but the woman. You'll never know what that means until God sees you alone. He looks at nobody else but you. He's not dealing with his elect in general. He's not dealing with the population or saints gone by or future saints, he dealing with you. One on one. And he don't see anybody else. He just sees you. Why? Because you was given to him. Because he died for you. Because he intercedes for you in glory. He just sees you. Oh, my soul. Jesus stood up again and saw none but the woman. And I don't know how to communicate this, but when Christ receives a chosen sinner, He brings that sinner to stand alone with Him.
There may be a multitude involved in the bringing. There may be a crowd gathered to see the outcome, but that chosen sinner will stand before him alone. And then he says to her, what's he going to say? Because he gets the last word. Woman, doesn't call her by name, dip woman. Where are thine accusers? I don't know if she really realized that they left. I don't know. I, I remember my own conviction. I, I remember uh, trying to deal with myself and trying to deal with him as, as who he is and, and all of these things. And I don't remember much about who else was involved. I, I just don't remember. But those are the things that was pressed on my heart. And there may be a multitude involved in the bringing and a crowd gathered to see the outcome, but that chosen sinner is going to stand before him alone. And then he says to her, Where are thine accusers? <laughs> you know, when a sinner is brought to Christ, it seems like everything is an evidence of his sins. Everything. You, you can't go, Well, I remember this one time. No, <laughs> No, even that's a sin. You don't remember anything. The law accuses him. Preachers accuse him. Society accuses him. But when he's shut up to the Savior, he hears what almost is unbelievable. He said, where are thine accusers? Doth no man accuse you? She said, no man, Lord. Here's the first words out of this woman's mouth. Lord. Lord. Huh? I'd be willing to bet everything I've got that the day before she didn't call him Lord. He's just Jesus. But he's Lord now. He's Lord now. Where are thine accusers? Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Huh? Anybody out there? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Huh? Who is he that condemneth? Christ died. Where are thine accusers? Does no man accuse you? No man, Lord. Oh, listen to this. Neither do I. Neither do I. Now you go and sin no more. Sin no more. How's that possible? By faith. By faith in Him. I'm, I'm sinless. By faith in Him. I'll struggle against sin. I have no desire to sin. I, I don't want to sin. But I'm a sinner. And I'm going to sin. But I have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. 
last thing that poor sinner ever expected Jesus of Nazareth to say, that she was not condemned. Through the substitutionary work of Christ and by His own word, she was justified. And oh, to hear the Son of God say to us, Sinner, doth no man condemn thee? Neither do I. Now go your way. I'll tell you what her way was. He was her way. Now you go your way. And sin no more. Sin no more. Oh, may the Lord help us to understand and rejoice in that message.